If you have Bibles, please turn to John chapter 6. So we're in a series, you're in a series at this moment, uh, on spiritual battle. Uh, Lorraine and I are glad to be here this morning. This is the first Sunday we've managed to get here this year. We don't necessarily commend that practice to everybody else. (laughs) Only to come once every few months. Um, But uh, many of you know that we sort of, uh, we travel a lot uh, in ministry, um, and so we've been on four continents uh, in the last uh, couple of months, and uh, it's great to be back home. We still regard this as our home church, and uh, people say to me wherever I go, so what church are you part of? I say, Oxford Community Church, who's your pastor? Steve Jones. The funny thing is, I'm his pastor, but he's my pastor, so it, it's, a, it's a mutual arrangement. But we're glad to be here. Uh, and you're doing a series on spiritual battle. There are times when we are very, very aware that we're walking through moments of battle. Um, But the spiritual life, walking with Jesus, actually, you know, requires us to uh, flex our muscles and to fight in all sorts of ways. Uh, Any old dead fish can swim sort of with the tide, but it takes a live fish to swim against the tide. We're swimming against the tide in this world as we walk with Jesus. And, And so we're aware that the current isn't going in our direction and we are going against the current lots of times. And so we have to understand the nature of this life that we live. Uh, in preparing for this Sunday morning, I decided to listen to the last two Sundays, which were the first two in this series on spiritual battle. Steve uh, Jones ministered two weeks ago on one area of battle, which is money. It's God and money. And how do we work out that struggle in our lives? It was a um, a very good, clear, and anointed address, and he had you pray for lots of things as you went through. I thought that was excellent. And then last Sunday, Lois Fulton ministered on fasting. Now, I never like to hear a, a, a sermon on fasting, I have to say. I much prefer the spiritual principle of feasting rather than fasting. Um, but I understand that this is part of uh, our spiritual life and learning how to fight with Christ and fight for victory in Christ. I have to say, Lois's uh, talk was was brilliant. And at the end of it, I thought, actually, I, you know, I feel ready for another bout of fasting. So that's got to be good, hasn't it? That's a commendation for any sermon on fasting that you feel like doing some afterwards. Now, here's where I'm under pressure. Uh, amazingly, I, look, I listened to both of these recordings and both of them were exactly the same length of time. 38 minutes and 23 seconds, both of them. And they were both anointed messages. And so I'm aware that if I go over that time, probably my anointing will run out. Anyway, some of you will believe that, some of you won't believe that. But um, Now, um, so I've been asked to speak this morning on battling for the supernatural, battling for the supernatural. And I want to read two passages first 
because I want, to, I want to start with the basics, if you like, because it's very easy to imagine that, you know, we just download miracles from heaven or something, but of course the supernatural life is not quite that simple as we all understand. So if we could read John chapter 6, verses 47 to 51 first. Now, I did have a PowerPoint as well, but I went and left my memory stick on my desk at home before leaving home, so no PowerPoint. But it wasn't nearly as entertaining as you normally get anyway from all these young things who do amazing things with their PowerPoint. So here we are. Luke, uh, sorry, John chapter 6, verse 47. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, we're sometimes tempted to think that there's some sort of elite Christian who specializes in the supernatural. They hear God in a special way. They have bigger faith than you or I. And God somehow takes more notice of them than he does of you and me. And most of us live, by comparison, a a fairly sort of relatively humdrum life. I want to say to you this morning that if that's what you think, you have swallowed a lie of the enemy, which is destined to keep you feeling ordinary, run-of-the-mill, not very special, and pedestrian. If you want to continue that way, be my guest. There's not a lot I can do about it, but I would like to show you a better way, as the Apostle Paul sometimes says. Because in the passages that I'm about to read from John chapter 6 and John chapter 7, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's offering, offering everyone the opportunity to live a supernatural life all the time. And, you know, sometimes we get into situations where well, I need a miracle. And sometimes we do need miracles. And by the grace of God, sometimes they come when we least dis- deserve them and when we perhaps least expect them and all the rest of it. That's the grace of God. But what God wants us to do is to live a supernatural life in such a way that we're all the time aware of who God is and what God is doing and how God is working. So that actually releasing the blessing of heaven is not a major new challenge for us, but is a dimension in which we live day by day because of the life of the Holy Spirit within us. Okay, so John chapter 6, these verses that I've, we've just read together about the uh, the bread that comes down from heaven. This, these, this sort of saying of Jesus about being the bread from heaven comes after the uh, event of the feeding of the 5,000. So they'd seen a massive miracle. 
Jesus has got their attention in a phenomenal way. As he's fed this crowd of probably about 12,000 people, because there were 5,000 men, but there were women and children as well. But, so, and women and children are always more than the number of men, you understand. So let's say at least 12,000 people. He's fed them on five loaves, two fishes. It is a huge miracle, and it gets their attention. But he wants to say to them, but the life I live is a lot more than just feeding a few thousand people with a few loaves and fishes. That's chicken feed. By comparison with what I want to give you to live in day by day by day by day with the living bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus says there is something far, far more significant than eating bread. And it's about the life that you can live supernaturally downloaded from God day by day. I wonder if you understand what the word manna means. Because we often talk about getting our daily manna. And the Israelites got their daily manna in the Old Testament story in the book of Exodus. And so we tend to think, oh, that's our daily bread. So some very good Bible study notes are called daily bread, still. Uh, That's not wrong. Uh, But actually, that's not really what's going on in the story of the manna. Basically, the Israelites moan. That's not like the people of God, is it? The Israelites moan when they've come out of Egypt. They've seen a miraculous deliverance from Egypt. And there they are in the wilderness, and they moan that there isn't enough food for all of them. And actually, God says, Moses takes it back to God, and God says to Moses, listen, I am going to stuff you so full. And I am going to stuff the Israelites so full to show them that I'm the God of all provision, but they will just feel... Have you ever eaten a... A, you know, a big meal, and then thought, Jesus, I shouldn't have eaten all that. We all do it, don't we, at various times, you know, and we say, I shouldn't have eaten all that, and we feel bloated, and God said, I'm going to bloat you people, my people, so full with the manna and the quails that I, with bread from heaven, that they'll be sorry they ever moaned. <laughs> and so, that night, that night, There's a visitation of manna and quail. Now, the manna was not bread. I don't know quite what it was like, but it was not bread like you normally see. Actually, when they picked it up in the morning, they said to themselves, manna, which means, what is this? The word manna means, what now? What is this? What on earth is this? Well, the point is, it's not something on earth. It's something that comes from heaven. So the man now, what on earth? Wow, where did this come from? Overnight, there it is, all laid out on the ground. And we can eat it. And we can live on it. And there's loads of it. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, I'm the man now that you can meet every morning and say, what's this? 
that I'm privileged to eat and stuff myself with. It's the life of God downloaded from heaven. Wow. This isn't just bread of heaven, bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. That's where this, that line comes from. Okay, but all I'm trying to say is this was something amazing, miraculous that they'd never seen before, a heavenly provision. And Jesus says, and that's what I am for you, disciples of mine. This isn't about physical miracles. This is about your daily manna. What's that? And so day by day, God wants us to get up in the morning and say, wow, what's this? God's still here. He's still with me. He's still for me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Who prays that prayer in the morning? We, we pray that prayer regularly in the morning. Thank you that your mercies are new. This morning again. We have a little prayer that we pray both morning and night. We say, thank you for your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Because he comes to us with love in the morning. He's still there for us. He gets, you know, as we get up, I'm going to say he gets up with us. That's not quite right. It's not very good theology. But anyway, he's with us as we get up. And he walks through the day with us. And at the end of the day, the day we say, thank you for your faithfulness at night, as your love was true this morning. Uh, this is the supernatural life that we're supposed to be living day by day. So, so if you want to battle for the supernatural, the first place that you battle for it is in your daily life, your daily walk with God. This is, this is where you feed on the, what? Wow! What, what am I fed from heaven? You understand what I'm saying? This is huge. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. You won't die spiritually. You'll live forever. You have life in you that's not natural, but supernatural. Say amen. amen. Thank you. And then turn to your neighbor and say, you may not understand, but I've got supernatural life in me. Thank you. For, I know you don't like doing that, but some, somehow we've got to get it through. Okay, then turn to John chapter 7, verse 37. Because we've got another one like this here. On the last and greatest day of the festival, these are very familiar words. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from him, from within him. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now, this little story comes from a festival that Jesus, Jesus loved festivals, by the way. He loved parties, he loved meals, he loved festivals, and he was at them all. And here he is at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is their harvest celebration. It's a time when the Israelites gave thanks to God for the rains that had come down from heaven. Note, they always gave thanks for the rains that came down from heaven and for the rivers that flowed to irrigate the crops and to cause the crops to grow. 
That's why, and there were readings all about rains and rivers and things like that at the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm not going there. But that's why Jesus... Now, here's an interesting thing. It says, Jesus stood up. Now, rabbis in the Jewish time did not stand up. They sat. And everybody sat around them. Because that's the way rabbis teach. So Jesus is wanting to get their attention. Right? He's not sitting down and saying, oh, and by the way, you could have... He stands up in order to make an important proclamation and say, he says this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He says, drink of my spirit and rivers of supernatural life will flow from within you. Rivers, not trickles, not streams, but rivers. He's talking about life that comes from heaven to energize us within, <laughs> to cause us to live inside in such a way that rivers flow out of us into the life of others, rivers of supernatural life. He's talking about rivers that come from heaven, satisfying, refreshing, thirst-quenching, fertilizing rivers. He says, that's how I want you to live, supernatural life. You can have the what now bread from heaven and the rivers that come from heaven. That's how we're supposed to live. Now, if we want to talk about battling for the supernatural, for signs and wonders, which I believe is our portion in Jesus Christ, so I'm not going to backtrack on that, we start here. We start in living a supernatural life, which energizes everything that we are and do. And I just want to mention four things that will help you as you battle for this supernatural life in front of you. Because we won't see miracles until we've really fought the battle for the supernatural life in us here and now. That's where it starts. So here we are. I've got four phrases for you. First of all, I want to encourage you in what I call the art of abiding. The art of abiding. You know Jesus said to his disciples, abide in me and I will abide in you. The battle for the supernatural is a daily walk in which we're abiding in Christ. Now, I know the pressures that we all live under. The pressures of family life, work life, you know, things that come upon us day by day, all the things that we have to sort out in life, etc., etc. All our lives are stuffed full with pressure of one sort or another. And somehow, somehow God wants us to find a way of abiding, so abiding in Christ that amidst all of those pressures, we remain in grace and peace. 
So there must be time that we make to find with God. I know when your kids wake early, five o'clock in the morning, etc., etc., it's a challenge. Okay, that's your challenge. Other people have other challenges. I can't take the challenge away from you. These are the challenges of life. Other people have other challenges. But you're men and women of God, so face the challenge. Man up, woman up. (laughs) Deal with it. And make sure you find some time. Because God wants us to live a supernatural life every day whereby we're hearing God. We need to take some time to hear God. Wherever you hear God, if it's in the loo, let it be in the loo. It's a good place. I know women can never quite understand why we men spend as long as we do in there, but that's one reason. Anyway, there may be others. In the shower. Look, wherever it is. Uh, I am one who sings in the shower. Your voice always sounds better in the shower. Encourage yourself. (laughs) Encourage yourself in the morning. Lorraine doesn't really like that. Anyway, never mind. You don't need to know our problems. Um, But but I sing in the shower. It gets me in faith in the morning. First thing in the morning. I find faith as I, I sing to the Lord. Hearing God. Secondly, resting in his sufficiency. Somehow drawing heaven down. You have to practice drawing heaven down. Sometimes the gap between heaven and earth seems quite great, but you've got to draw heaven down. That's something you can do. Nobody else can do it for you. That's something you have to do. And somehow finding that grace and peace to live in day by day, the art of abiding. Secondly, I have to move through these fast because I want to get to some miracles. Secondly, but, but this is the foundation. Secondly, the fight for faith. What Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 12 is this. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. That is, he's talking about arguments, false teaching, friction, envy, love of money. Flee from that stuff and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were, to which you were called When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, that is, when you got baptized, you said you were going to live like a Christian. Well, do it, he says. Do it every day. One of the things I think God wants to say to us, for goodness sake, live like Christians, feeding on supernatural bread, drinking supernatural drink day by day. That's our portion. So we run from those things, we pursue those things, and we fight, and we take hold of eternal life. Take hold of it, grasp it, seize it. It doesn't just fall from heaven if you're lucky. Right? You have to pull it down from heaven, draw it down from heaven, draw down the life of God. And I felt Bex did us so much good this morning. Thank you very much, Bex, for leading us. But in the place of praise is a place where you draw down the presence of God. And you see God for who he is. And many decades ago, there were all sorts of uh, books written about the power of praise. Well, they ran out of sort of um, print and anointing, but it is still true. 
that the praise of God and putting that on your lips and keeping praising God is hugely important. Let me say to, to you this, that there are some countries where they do that far more easily than we do in Britain. And we need to learn how to do that like the Africans do it. The Africans put the praise on, of God on their lips day by day by day. We need to imitate that faith and to fight for faith. Thirdly, travailing together. By which I simply mean what Keith prophesied <laughs> this morning. That one of the things that keeps us buoyant in faith is being part of a community where we encourage one another, help one another, strengthen one another, love one another, pray for one another, and we one another, one another, one another all the time. Uh, that's our privilege as Christians in being part of the family of God. You, a few weeks ago, studied Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God. The thing that you need to see from that chapter is that the armor of God that you put on is not something you put on individually. I've known individuals who pray about putting on the armor of God every morning. I don't, I don't sort of, uh, that's okay if you want to. But actually, <laughs> what Paul says to the Ephesian Christians is, you lot put on the armor of God. Put on... You know, the breastplate of righteousness, all of you. Put on the helmet of salvation, all of you. You know, take up the word of God, all of you. Uh, you know, take the shield of faith, all of you. And as Keith mentioned, that tortoise shell formation where you lock your shield with the shield of the per people next to you and you help one another and you stand together. Uh, this is part of... You know, living supernaturally. What we want to do, what the church is all about, is being a supernatural community, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. We strengthen one another's faith. There's times when I come in and my faith is weak and I think, this is great to be here. It's just great to be in the presence of God. Thank you. And thank you for that prophetic word that came and encouraged me this morning. And there'll be other times when others walk in weak and it'll be somebody else's prophetic word that will strengthen you. That's what the community of faith is about. That's what being part of a community group is all about. It's about encouraging one another to mission as well. So we keep encouraging one another in our Christian life, but we're travailing together. This is part of our supernatural life in God. And finally, the pursuit of perseverance. One of the things... If we're going to live the supernatural life of God, we need to do is we need to know how to persevere and not give up. Hezekiah asked the Lord for many years more when he was acutely sick and about to die. It just slips my mind how many years he asked. Was it 14? Uh, so, you know, just, you just suddenly get sort of moments of forgetfulness, um, especially when you're my age. Um, I think it was 14 years. He got 14 years extra from the Lord. And this is what God said to him. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. Okay, and it's so simple, but sometimes we have to keep persevering. There's a story that Jesus tells about a judge and a woman says, because she kept on asking, <laughs> I'll do it for her. It's a bit of a picture of God. Because she keeps on asking... He'll do it. And um, we want to live that way. Now, okay, let's talk a little bit. Let's think about a bit about battling for the supernatural 
around us in the sort of way that we normally think about it. I want you to understand living supernaturally is your, your call, your privilege, <laughs> your daily portion, and your daily battle as well. Living, thinking, and behaving like a Christian. Okay? Is that all right? Okay. But there are times when we're looking for some special interventions uh, from God. Now, I've had the privilege of traveling the world and seeing God do some quite remarkable things. I've visited a prison in Argentina where there was a full-scale revival going on. And out of 3,500 prisoners, 1,650 at the time when I visited were born again, spirit-filled, praising God in that prison. (laughs) After I had the privilege of going, I heard the ongoing story that they prayed that somehow God would help them to plant churches from their prison into other places. Because they were so well behaved in this prison, they started getting transferred to prisons all around the country. And in all the prisons around the nation of Argentina, uh, there were groups of Christian prisoners who got transferred into those prisons and where they started churches. Supernatural things that you've had the privilege of seeing. Um, Miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance, people getting up out of wheelchairs, uh, cancers being healed, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, I've had the privilege of seeing some of that. I'm not talking about necessarily my prayers. No, nobody can claim any anointing in this area because God does what he does. Um, so it's not that that I'm... I'm just saying I've had the privilege of seeing some of these, some of these things. Uh, dramatic deliverances. Equally, people coming to Christ in all sorts of dramatic ways in which they get a revelation of God. That's as much a miracle uh, when that happens. So I'm trying not to make us sort of focus too much on, on the dramatic because there's things that God is doing in all sorts of different ways. But the truth is that often we experience pressures of different types when we're aware that what we need is some mighty visitation or intervention from God, from heaven, to change our current circumstances in a life-transforming way. That may be That may be in areas of sickness, acute or prolonged illness, mental illness. Maybe curses. Some of you may not have seen the power of curses in other people's lives, but it does happen to some people when everything that can go wrong seems to go wrong regularly. And having prayed for this, that, and the other, you then sort of say to yourself, there must be something bigger than this going on. There's a curse on this person's life. And praying for curses and seeing people, against curses and seeing people delivered. Equally, family line afflictions, whether they're physical or whether they're spiritual or emotional. Repetitive family behaviors. Um... Those are things that we encounter around us as we walk with people. And we say, actually, God, you're going to have to help us with this. We need a supernatural intervention, a supernatural visitation. How can we see that come to people's lives? Demonic bondage. You read about it in the Bible. Uh, 
Some of you may not have encountered it in, in your lives. You may have encountered it without realizing it. But I'm talking about spirits of rejection, self-rejection, inferiority, rebellion. These are often things that establish strongholds in our lives. Infirmity, fear, anxiety, hopelessness, death. Um, demonic bondage sounds dramatic. Um, it's not really as dramatic as it sounds. It's basically the enemy having a hold on certain aspects of our lives where the spirit of Jesus clearly doesn't. And so even as Christians, we may experience realms of demonic oppression or demonic bondage in one way or another, uh, which is that Christ by the Holy Spirit has not yet established full lordship in our lives and there's stuff that needs dealing with and stuff that needs breaking in our lives and victory that needs to come to our lives. So these are areas of our life where we do need to see some intervention from God. Maybe circumstances which are locked up all around us or relationships that have gone hopelessly astray. And we say, I'm powerless to change this thing, but I'm looking for some intervention of God, some way in which God can step in to these things. Now, how do we do battle with this to see the victory of Christ come in? I want to give you certain pointers, if I can. Uh, 38 minutes is fast approaching, I think, but anyway. I want to give you some pointers, if I can, uh, to help you in this. Uh, but the first thing I want to say is, I don't think there are any experts in this room in the supernatural, and I'm not one of them. Uh, so God is still God. We still come to him in humility, desperately asking him to come, intervene, send his power, do what only he can do. And there's an enormous amount we don't know about God's action. Secondly, going on from there it's just an incredible mystery about all of this so anyone who says you get it this way uh, I want to suggest will have seen God work the way they're saying that's where you get that sort of testimony from you get it this way well that's how I saw it some time ago but I think I've seen interventions from God come in lots of different ways and every time I think I understand how it's going to come it doesn't come that way it comes some other way so there's still some mystery about this so I uh, just want to say that as well. And, and the third thing I want to say is there is a, an incredible mystery about the timing of God. Because, uh, of course, we work on one time scale. And one of the stories that I really, really love is that time where Jesus is asked to go to the house of Jairus to heal Jairus' daughter. And, you know, gets caught up in this crowd with a woman who stops him by touching his cloak and getting healed and then they have a conversation I don't know if you've ever thought what Jairus must have thought about all of that I mean the woman was obviously thrilled but Jairus probably wasn't because uh, his daughter was still sick and actually while they're still standing there talking to this woman wasting time talking to this woman because she didn't have a you know a problem that was going to cause her to die just a problem a chronic problem you understand um you know, they heard the news that Jairus' daughter had died and said, oh, don't bother the master anymore. 
So I don't know what Jairus thought about this woman and her holding up, you know, the plans of God. And, because he had one time scale, but Jesus had another. And Jesus had time for the woman, and then he had time to go to the house and the power to raise up Jairus' daughter. Because that's who God is. And sometimes we're very, very preoccupied with our time scales. Uh, this is what God has to do now. Uh, and God has another time scale because he's doing other things. Uh, and one of the things we need to try and understand is that God has a bigger picture than we do. And we're really very human here. So, so all of that's a way of sort of saying... Now, there's some mystery here, but I, I want, and I really, so I'm not trying, I'm not even going to say you do it like this and you do it like that and you do it like that. One of the things I've noticed as I've myself prayed with the sick, watched others praying with the sick, is there seems to be no model. You know, you could pick up a model of Jesus rubbing clay on somebody's eyes, spitting into the clay, you know, do you want to follow that model? Um, so all I'm trying to say is different things work at different times, different places. And one of the things we have to do is to be led by the Holy Spirit and follow him. Um, but what I have noticed is God responds to faith. So faith is an absolute key. That's the battle area for many of us. So the person who sort of said to Jesus, I believe, help thou my unbelief, is somebody we can identify with in a significant way. And and getting into faith, and that's why praising God. And that song that Bex led us in, I should probably even forget the first line, I'll raise a hallelujah. Uh, If you go online to the Bethel sort of song place, and you will read the testimony of how that song came about but it was it was to do with a baby that was critically ill and the community is asked to pray and and that's why the sort of shadows of doubt in the I'll raise a hallelujah in the midst of my enemies and so on and so forth um, but it's, that's why the sort of shadows of doubt and unbelief in there because actually what we do is we raise a hallelujah we praise God we look at who God is we draw him into the situation You know, in the midst of a critical situation, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but we determinedly, you know, look at God, bow before God, praise God, draw him down, draw him in. I want to give you one passage of scripture which I have found personally very, very useful. And I know I preached on it before here, but then I preached lots of sermons here. So there we go. Ezekiel chapter 37 is a very well-known story. And, of course, it's a story about the Valley of Dry Bones. And, uh, and, this, and this is a picture of God's people, Israel. And I'm just going to read this to you and make one or two comments, and then I'm going to leave it and finish. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, like he was showing them (laughs) there wasn't a hint of life here. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. In other words, they were well dead. He asked me, son of man, 
can these bones live? Now that's the penetrating question that you get asked in front of lots of situations. Can this situation change? And you've got a clutter of thoughts in your head. And you know what the answer should be, or really is. It's, of course, with you, God, yes. But in your head, there's other stuff going on. Am I talking to the right people? Which is, yes, but this one's really difficult, and all the circumstances point against it, and this has been going on for quite a long time now, etc., etc., etc. And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. There at least is a point of reality. Because he's not saying, oh, yes, of course, this is no problem to you. He is facing the fact that, well, of course he knows they can live. But are they going to live well? You alone know, Lord, because you're God but you're my God, I'm coming to you, etc., etc. Now, here, God doesn't say, yeah, well, just stand aside and I'll do it. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones, I'll make breath enter you and you'll come to life, I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you'll come to life. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. Now, so God says prophesy to them and what Ezekiel prophesies is the whole deal. A transformation of God when God steps in to intervene. And what we always see is the whole deal. Now, we see complete healing, people running out the room from their deathbeds and all the rest of it. You know, we see the whole deal. The transformation means this. Actually, the great thing is, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded... God told me to prophesy, so I did it. You don't know what Ezekiel felt like. Wonder what you would have felt like in front of a valley of bones. Told to prophesy, live bones. You might not have started like Ezekiel started. At least he had the faith to get started. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, something started to happen. When you start prophesying and praying into a situation, listen, something starts to happen. Right? Because you're bringing God in. And he's a God who changes things. And you're not looking just at the problem, but you're looking beyond that to God and God's activity. And something starts to happen. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. This was not the transformation that Ezekiel was prophesying about. This was not the whole deal. He's got partial answers to prayer. God's doing a little bit. But here's the big question. What do you do when God only does a little bit of what you ask him? (laughs) Well, different ones of us will have different responses. Often depending on our personality or whatever it may be. 
then he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath or prophesy to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. So it didn't happen first time. So God says, well, prophesy again. Keep it up. Sometimes God needs to say that to us. <laughs> and sometimes we need to hear what he's saying to us. When we're, when we're faced in front of a difficult situation, a, you know, a stubborn situation that is not changing, we've got to start prophesying and praying and prophesying and praying, and then we'll see some things happen. But when we don't see it all happen... We don't give up. We prophesy and pray. We prophesy again. And the army came to life. Then he said, now notice, it is not, this story is not finished here. Verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore, prophesy so they've the joints have come together bones have come together there's a bit of order and shape come in place now the life has come but there's still something missing which is hope people living without hope is a very sad life <laughs> not how we're supposed to live hope is not there and so god says prophesy again Therefore prophesy, verse 12, and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves, bring you up from them, I'll bring you back to the land of Israel, then you, my people, know that I'm the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I'll put my spirit in you. Manna from heaven, rivers from heaven, and you will live and I'll settle you in your own land, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, have done it to connect those. But all I want to say to you is, if you want to see the supernatural come down, prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. There is no silver bullet. If you do it like this, you can guarantee. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Right, but you prophesy, pray, prophesy, pray. I've got several stories I want to tell, but... Time is, is eluding me. I've prayed prayers like that, seen God do things as he's responded to prayer day by day, week by week, month by month. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes we don't know exactly what's happening. We keep praying. We keep praying. Ezekiel 37, fasting, is part of this prayer process. Not to twist God's arm. There is no way you and I can leave a God into doing things he doesn't want to do, but it's a way of our getting close to God, finding out who God is and getting his perspective so that we pray with increased faith. And I want to say this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29 says, Do are all miracle workers? Do all have gifts of healing? In other words, there are some people in the body of Christ who are specially anointed. They are. They are. Well, if you are facing an intervention like this, get them to pray for you. 
get them to pray for you. Regularly, if Lorraine has something wrong with her, she says, will you pray for me? I pray for her. We often see things shift. If it doesn't shift, she says, can you call Roger? That's really encouraging to a husband. You know, somebody else can do it better. Uh, but he has an anointing. Our friend Roger Cole, some of you don't know him, but um, he's pastor of Henley Baptist Church. And he has an anointing to see people healed. And he moves, yeah, call in the faith people. <laughs> and if you know that, you know, and the elders you call in as well, says call the elders, they'll pray for you. Prayer of faith. That's a pressure on the elders. Prayer of faith will bring the healing of God. Okay, but call the faith people. Don't know that there's any other secrets to seeing the power of God come and to living the life of God, letting the life of God flow through us and calling heaven down into situation after situation. But I believe there are things in this city that God wants to change and transform. It's going to take a people who are calling heaven down, who are living the life of the Holy Spirit, who are calling heaven down, who are determined to see God move in, who will prophesy and prophesy and prophesy in faith to see stubborn situations yield before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and see the victory of Christ come into situations which are resistant to the Lordship of Christ because we know how to prophesy and prophesy and prophesy in the name of the Lord Jesus and see these situations change. Now, I have gone over the time that Steve gave to me and he hasn't blown a whistle yet. Uh, the anointing may just be wearing off, so I need to stop. But listen... I just want to say, as we close, and I don't know how Bex and Steve decide we're going to close, but as we close, if there are some who need a good dose of the Holy Spirit again, you're dry. You need to feel the life of God springing up again. God wants to give you fresh life, fresh manna. So you say, wow, manna, what's this that's come down on me again? You've got rivers of living water. He wants to send that down from heaven there's some who've given up praying and prophesying because of situations that you faced and you've been discouraged by them or whatever I want to say to you do it again get prayer for fresh hope fresh encouragement fresh faith and go back to the battle and do it again call God down prophesy prophesy prophesy